Good morning. Welcome to Foothills today. My name is Zach, and I will be preaching for you this morning. We want to welcome you here, whether you're joining us in person or online. We're really happy you decided either to make the drive over or to click on the link so that you could open it up. We are in our series called Fight Club. We're talking about, you know, getting into the ring, mixing it up with everybody. Not really, but just a little bit. We talked a couple weeks ago about how we are all in a battle, and we're focusing especially with all the Fight Club stuff, a little bit about how men in our culture and in our society today are in a battle. So week one, we talked about that battle. We talked about how we have to recognize that we are in a fight for who we are as a person. We're in a fight for our purpose. We're in a fight for who we are going to be and how we are going to behave. Last week, we talked about how we must fight for the true intent of the sex drive that God gave us. I never thought I'd say that word in church, but I mean, here we are, so we're going to have a little bit of fun today. (laughs) Today, we are talking about something a little bit different, but a battle that is equally important, and that is the fact that we must fight for our character. We must fight for our character as men and our character as women. We're going to talk a little bit more about the masculine heart today, but this applies to all of us as people and as followers of Christ, because all of us must fight for our character and who we're going to be and how we are going to decide to behave in this crazy world that we live in. Why is this battle important, though? Why is it so important that we fight for our character? It's because our character is the source of our respect and our power as people. We have to win this battle for our character so that we can have this respect and have this power. The desire of every masculine heart that God has created is to have respect. It is to be powerful. Now, we may talk about the the issues with this. And we may see so many sources in our world talk about how this can be terrible and wrong and how people looking for power or people desiring to be respected or glorified are causing issues and they're causing evils in our world. But that's not because the desire for power and respect is bad in of itself. It's because it's been perverted. It's because of where the source of that power and respect comes from. It's because of the way that these men, and there are men who choose to follow these things in an incorrect way, it's because of how they go about it. It is not because the desire in and of itself is evil. It's not because the desire is bad. It's not because the desire is toxic. Because these desires come from the Lord. These desires are the way that God created us. And so for us to follow him and for us to become our true, authentic selves, whole and complete in him, we must meet those desires and seek to fill them. But we also have to remember that in the kingdom of God, respect and power work a little bit differently than this world tells us it does. In 1 Samuel There are the story of great kings, Israel, the nation of God, the nation of his holy people that he has chosen to set apart for himself to follow him, have rejected God as king. And they have said, we want a human king. So God appoints them a human king. He gives this man power and respect. The people of Israel follow him. He has the power to lead the armies. We also see 
in Scripture, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. God is endorsing this man. God is giving this man power, and he is giving him respect. His title is the Lord's anointed King of Israel. That's a lot of power, and that's a lot of respect. But he makes a fatal error. He puts his power and his respect in himself. When he sends men to win battles and they come back, he takes credit for the victory. He does not give, he does not give credit to them. He does not give credit to the Lord. He says, I have defeated our enemies. And we see that that's the foreshadowing of rot and ruin that comes to him. We're going to pick up in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. He has won many battles by this point. He has been a great king. And he marches his army to one side of a valley to face Israel's hated enemies, the Philistines. And as he's preparing his men for war, as they are getting ready to fight, one man from the Philistine camp walks out. He's a behemoth, a giant but he's still a mere man standing before God's chosen people. And he curses them. He says, who are your followers? Who are your commanders? Who are your gods? Send out one of your champions and I will defeat him. I will kill him. And you will see that we are more powerful than any of your kings or your gods. And this man, the Lord's anointed, this king, instead of being irate at the disrespect shown to the Lord, cowers in fear. He and his men hide in their tents, afraid of the Philistine champion. And so for 40 days, he comes out and curses the Israelites, God's chosen people. He curses the Lord. Who is this God? He's so powerful that you send nobody out and no one can face me? In his challenges, he continues and continues and continues. And the man who has put respect and power in himself cowers in his tent. But then a little shepherd boy shows up. He's been sent to go see his older brothers to bring them food, to win some favor with their commanding officers by bringing a little bit of good food for the troops, to get some news of the front and report back to his father. He, see, he finds his brothers, he's giving them food, and this giant comes out and makes his challenge known again, curses the name of the Lord. And while all men around him are cowering in fear, hiding in their tents, this young man speaks up. He says, who is this Philistine to challenge the armies of God? Who is this Philistine to disrespect the name of the Lord? Instead of rallying around him, the men on his side and his brothers get angry. They show contempt for him. Who are you to talk? Go back to the fields. Go back and be a shepherd. Tend to the little sheep. We don't want you here. But this young man knows who he is. He knows where his power comes from. He says, take me to the king. I will fight this man. For who can stand against God? So he goes to the king and the king looks upon him and says, you're just a boy. 
How could you fight this champion? You have no hope. And this young man's response is filled with power, it's filled with confidence, and it's filled with respect, not for himself, but for the one he serves. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. That is a powerful response. Most of us know how this story ends. David goes, he kills Goliath, he defeats them. But we must remember the character shown here. What is the character of the King Saul? The one anointed by the Lord, the one who ultimately put his power and his respect in himself, in his own name, in his own abilities. Well, he cowered in his tent. The one who had the respect for God, the one who put his power and knew where his power came from, he stood up. Don't all of us wish to be like David in this scene? To be able to stand when the truth is challenged? To be able to stand up when we see something that we know is wrong? To be able to have that confidence built not only on ourselves, but on God, that we can stand for the forces of good. See, we all desire that respect and we all desire that power, but so often the way we go about getting it is trying to accrue money or fame, power that this world talks about, respect and titles that this world talks about. But that's not where true power comes from. That's not where true respect comes from. And David knows that. He was disrespected by the men around him. He was disrespected by his brothers and the rest of the army and then by the king. But he knew who he was. How many of you sitting out there desire to have that self-confidence, that self-respect? I think all of us do. And that's not a wrong desire. That's not a toxic desire. But how are you going to fill it? Saul filled it with himself. And we saw where that led him. The second an obstacle came up, he cowered in his tent. David showed character when that giant stood in his way. Because he was based and his foundation was in God. So how do we build that character? How can we build this character that David shows? How can we have this as well? How can we fill our desire for power and respect in a way that is healthy and good? Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, it's his letter to the people living in Rome. He talks about how we develop this character. 
In verses 1 and 2, he describes where David is at. When David comes and David has this confidence in the Lord, Paul describes it here. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is talking about the confidence here. He's talking about the power that we as followers of Christ have access to. And that sounds a whole lot like where David is at when he says he will stand before a giant. And then Paul tells us how we build that. He tells us, how do we get there? He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Why did David have that character? David based his character on God. David went through sufferings when he was a shepherd and a lion came and took a sheep, he went and he fought the lion. When a bear came and took a sheep, he went and he fought the bear. These obstacles to him were nothing compared to the power of God. What have obstacles done to you? Have your obstacles built you? Have they strengthened you? Have they given you times to trust in the hope of the Lord, to show perseverance, as Paul talks about, suffering to perseverance and perseverance to character? Has that happened in your life when you have encountered obstacles and suffering and pain and difficulty? Has it become part of your story of overcoming, of trusting in the Lord and of being built up in developing that character? Or has it been a time of horror and sadness and death? Has it become something that undermines you? Has it become something that fills you with trauma, that has left wounds that have not been healed, that are festering? See, when suffering comes into our life, we can take one of two paths. This suffering can either build us and strengthen us through our hope in the Lord through our overcoming of the obstacle by knowing God is there and God is our foundation. Or it can undermine us. It can destroy us. It can hurt us. It can take from us. It can steal from us. For if we were like Saul and we derive our respect and power from ourselves, then what happens when a giant stands in front of you? Where then will you run to? Where will you go? And as that experience fades in the mirror and we think, oh, with time, time heals all wounds, it does not. It is open and it festers. It becomes trauma. It becomes death. This world puts us through great suffering. There are great evils in our country, in our community, and in our world. Think of the last year, a little bit more than that now, the mental health issues that have arisen during lockdown as people have been quarantined in their house, 
the fear that has gripped some people of catching the coronavirus and dying from it. Even before this all happened, the opioid crisis that has hit our country, so many people have become addicted to painkillers. After a surgery, people who weren't trying to go down a path, were not trying to find something to fill a need, but slowly these painkillers took control of their lives. There is much suffering in this world. So how will we stand up against it? Will we stand on ourselves or will we stand on God? James tells us that our sufferings are important, that our trials and tribulations are to be cause joy for us, to be celebrated because they help mature and complete us. And that's what builds our character. If we allow these things to undermine us and give us trauma, all they do is break us more as people. But if we allow God to use them to build our character, to help establish a code of honor of how we will live and handle difficult times, then God will do his work in us. He will make us complete this completeness is what leads us to the true respect and power of him in his name. What does this completeness look like in our society? What does it look to be someone who has this respect and power that the Lord imbues us with? The first step, the first thing that we can do to be complete in this day and age and in our society and in our culture and in our community is we can stand for truth. David was angry at what this enemy of Israel was saying about the armies of the living God. He allowed himself to be angry because of the lies that were being told, the disrespect being showed. How do we react when we see lies? How do we react when our world tells us things that are not true? Our world and our culture tells us so many things about ourselves and about our society that are pure lies. What does it tell us about our identity? It tells us our identity is something for us to choose, something for us to become, something for us to prioritize and do whatever we want with. And that's a lie. Our identity is a child of God. It is a son or daughter. That is who we are. Anyone who starts off by saying your identity is anything other than that is lying to you. And what will you do when our culture and our society tells you what your identity is or tells you that you can choose your identity to be whatever it is? Our identity is in Christ. Stand for truth. What does our culture say about sexuality? It says a lot of things about sexuality. And none of them are true. No matter what it says, when it talks about heterosexuality or homosexuality or polygamy or polyamory or all of these words, 
all lies. Our sexuality is rooted in who God made us to be, just like our identity is. Stand for the truth when these lies come to you. What about materialism and the power and respect that people of this world search for? What power and respect do people give in this world? They give respect to those who are famous, to those who have money, to those who have accrued political power. Stand for truth against those lies. I saw so much during the last election cycle, people from every side voting for any candidate who were saying, we need this power so we can make things better. We need this power so we can make things okay. We have to vote for this person. That's a lie. Because our power is rooted in Christ, in Christ alone. Our power is not rooted in the government. It is not rooted in money. It is not rooted in anything that is material. It is rooted in the spirit of the living God. So when the world tries to tell you that your power comes from somewhere else or your respect comes from somewhere other than God, stand for truth and do not let those lies be believed by you ever. And if you see someone who is spouting those lies, that is when we must stand for truth because our truth is built on God. What else can we do? What else does it look like when we are made complete in God? We stand for the weak. So many times in Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, when the Lord gives the law to his people, and then when Jesus comes, and then when the letters are written to the churches, so many times is it repeated, care for the widows and orphans among you. Why does it say the widows and the orphans? Because for thousands of years, they were by far the weakest, most defenseless group in society. They had no power. They had no one advocating for them. They lived lives of poverty and hopelessness. They were the weak and the defenseless. And so what did God command? He commanded us to stand for them. Stand for those who are weaker than you. Sacrifice for them. Help them. Sometimes we can help them stand up for themselves and we can teach them how to. Sometimes that isn't the case. And we must sacrifice and stand for them. Maybe that means sacrificing our time. Maybe that means sacrificing our money. It could mean sacrificing many different things. But if your code of honor and your character does not involve standing up for the weak and sacrificing for them, then what is it even worth? Our character is so critically important. Having a code to live by is so critically important to achieving the power and respect that God calls us to have to have that power and respect that David showed when he defeated Goliath. But what we really need, what we really want to know is why, why is this so important? There's one last part that Paul said, because Paul did not end at character. 
as important his character is, that's not where Paul ended. He ended with hope. Verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. My Bible at home is a different translation, and it says this hope that will not disappoint. As much as we want to build a code, if it is built by us, it will be flawed because we are flawed. If we build a code on ourselves, are we any different than Saul? His code was built on him being the Lord's anointed, king of God's chosen people, a victor of many battles. And sure, our code may be, we may try to build it on good deeds. We may try to build it on the things we do for others. We may try to build it on sacrifice. But if it's still built on our work and what we do, how are we different than what Saul built on? What will we do when that giant comes into our lives? If it's built on ourselves, that suffering will lead to pain and trauma. It will not lead to us being stronger. No matter how hard we try, our willpower always runs out. So what then do we build on? What then do we build our character and our code on? We need a model. We need a man who had a perfect code and lived by it. One who can help us so that we, when we are in these times of pain and suffering and difficulty, we have someone to look to as a model of how to act and how to be a man. In the story that we started off with, that man was David. But sadly, David became king. He accrued power and respect and titles. And he sinned. His sin destroyed his kingdom. His sin destroyed his family. As much confidence and power as David showed in 1 Samuel 17, he still messed up. He still fell short. His code still ended up failing him. So who then do we look to if one of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament did not have the code and did not have the character that we need what then should we do? Who then shall we follow? There is a man that Scripture talks about. He has this character. First off, he sacrifices for the weak, and he never stopped. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That's a man of sacrifice. That's a man who stood for all those who were weak. For he is stronger than any of us. He has more character than any of us could ever dream or hope of having within ourselves. And what did he use that for? What did he do with it? He stood for us when we could not stand. When we could not stand before God because of our transgressions and our iniquities, he stood for us. He sacrificed for us. That's a man. But Paul talks about hope. And there wasn't a whole lot of hope in that one. As beautiful as the sacrifice is that this man made for us, as beautiful as the stand that he took for us is, does that not end with death? For our transgressions, he was killed. He was cut off from the land of the living and given a grave with the wicked. That doesn't seem like it has that power and respect that we have talked about. And here's one of the most important things to remember about character and power and respect in the kingdom of God is there will be times where we are mocked by the world. There will be times where we are looked at as lesser by those around us. There will be times where there are those that our society calls men look at us with shame and contempt and disgust because of the choices we make and the character that we choose to honor. Think of those words again. People hid their faces from us. He had no beauty to attract us. That does not sound like a man who is respected or a man who is powerful, does it? The passage is called the suffering servant for a reason. But we must not forget that respect and power work differently in the kingdom of heaven. For there is power. And although we may make decisions to hold true to the character of Christ, the character that God gives us, that we want to desire his power and his respect, sometimes it will lead us to a place that the rest of the world calls shame. But we must remember that it ends differently. Saul's respect and power ended in rot and ruin and with death on the battlefield. David's respect and power ended with rebellion 
interfamily conflict and fighting and death, wars, and a kingdom that eventually collapsed. Our character is not from ourself. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the man we base our character on. That is his power. That is his strength and that is his majesty. We must fight for our character. We must fight to have a code to live off of that will guide us when times are difficult, that will guide us to stand for truth and stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. To do so, we must follow the one who came before us, the one who has that character, the one who has that strength, the one that has that respect and who has that power. So fight for your character. So the desire of your heart to have that respect, to have that power deep within you will be filled by the one who is coming on a white horse, by the one who will tread the fury of the wrath of God like a wine press. That is the man I want to follow. That is the one whose code I want to make my own. That is the one I want to worship and that is the one I want to praise. This weekend, our men's ministry is putting on a boot camp and the sole point of it is to find this man, to seek him out, to make his code ours and to become one of his followers and his disciples. If you want to join us, we welcome you. After service out in the atrium, there's a little rack that says new people and stuff on this side. And standing next to it will be Jason Lloyd. And if you want to join us, he will have the details on how you can come up. If you're not here today and you're streaming, please email men at foothills.org. Because we want you to join us in following this man of respect and power. Let's close. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.